Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Of Abundant Life. If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Daniel, chapter 4, is where we're going to be at this morning. We are continuing our study verse by verse through the book of Daniel. We're going to kind of do a, a big flyover through the whole chapter this morning. I am so glad that you made the decision to get here this morning. Um, I don't know if you've come in here and you you know somebody like I, I know, like a like somebody, if I had to give an adjective to describe this person, it would just be dysfunctional. Like y'all know, y'all know somebody that's really dysfunctional? You know, if you're sitting next to them, just blink at me right now, okay? Don't look at them, just... I've got this person that I know is super dysfunctional. I've known him for almost my whole life. And a couple of things I've seen where I'm like, bro, you're so filled with yourself. You're so filled with arrogance. You're so filled with pride. I remember we were in seventh grade. It's the second day of middle school. And uh, this guy gets in a fight, gets suspended. I'm like, bro, like you've got to calm down. Fast forward a few years, we've been running together. We get into college and, and I just saw like these inconsistencies and I saw this arrogance and this pride of like pretending like he had it all together. I was like, bro, hey, I know you and you're living like a hypocrite right now. You need to get it together. Just dysfunctional, proud, arrogant, trying to fool everybody. Person gets married a few years later and I'm like watching him interact with his wife and I'm like, man, this is the love of your life, but you can't admit when you're wrong and apologize to her and you want to speak to her this way. You know, I'm like, bro, you're, you're so proud, prideful, you know, you're so dysfunctional. I, I got a picture of me and this guy right here. The most dysfunctional person that I'm talking about that I've known most of my life is me. I'll start there this morning because you know a dysfunctional person too. And the dysfunctional person that you know all too well that I want you to start thinking about this morning is you. Like no one has fooled you more than you. No one has lied to you more than you. No one has convinced you to do some stupid things more than you. That the most dysfunctional person, yeah, the most dysfunctional person that you know this morning is you. And this morning, we're going to talk about what God's Word has to say in regard to us dealing with this difficult person. And we're going to look at this guy who really sets an example for us, who, who, who had to lose his mind literally so that he could learn what it looks like to walk in humility. That this guy, he was filled with something that creates all sorts of dysfunction in our life. It's this thing that the Bible calls pride. At the very end of Daniel chapter four, we get the conclusion, and I just wanna give you my cards up front, and here's where we're headed. In Daniel four, verse 37, it says, those who walk in pride, God, he, he is able to put down. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this message, Pride. Pride, and we're gonna look at this guy's life, and we're gonna see his dream, his destruction, and his decision. And I'm gonna invite every one of us here to make the similar, a similar decision that this guy made in his life once he realized the state of his pride and God humbled him. So much dysfunction has played out in all of our lives. So much dysfunction and, and issues have played out in so many people's lives because of pride. 
Now, one of the key themes in the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty. If, if you're not used to that word sovereignty, it just, it just literally means that God is in control, that he's bigger than everything that we know. That one of the key themes in the book of Daniel is that God, the living God, is the king of all kings. That kings come, kings go, but there's one king that stays the same, and he's true, and he is sovereign. He is the Lord of all lords. And we're seeing how God works through all sorts of difficult circumstances, how he works through all sorts of powerful people and powerless people and how God accomplishes his purposes. The plans of the Lord will not be thwarted. We see that in the book of Daniel. One of the key players in the book of Daniel is a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now we've learned a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar up until this point, but what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of one of the greatest empires in human history. And we're dropping in on Nebuchadnezzar really kind of sharing his story. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love hearing people's stories. We talk about stories a lot here at Abundant Life. We have a story room. Last week, if you weren't here, we got to celebrate people's stories in a very, very tangible way. And I don't know if you're here, but we celebrated baptizing over 80 people, y'all. It was incredible. Now, <clears throat> yeah, clap, clap, clap. There we go. All right. So here's one of my favorite things about Baptism Sunday is that we get to hear people's stories and we get to see how they said, man, this is where I was headed. Jesus intersected my life and now this is where I'm headed. And I just, I never get tired of hearing how people's lives have been changed when they cross paths with God Almighty. Uh, we were on uh, social media this week with somebody's story that, that was at length and I just was watching this young lady share her story and like there was just a part of me, like I've, you know, I've got an AirPod in and, and I'm like, um, you know, I'm like in, in the coffee shop and like watching this story, just wanting to go, whoa, you know, and like, I mean, I was just fired up on the inside because I just love hearing people's stories. And we're, we're getting to hear Nebuchadnezzar's story. This is how he came to understand that God is God Almighty, that he is the king of all kings. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's sharing his story with us. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter four, starting in verse two. He says, I, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God was, has worked for me. He's saying, this is my testimony. I want to declare to the entire Babylonian empire, this is what's happened. He says in verse three, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. And note this, he says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now he goes on to talk about how he came to this declaration. He tells about this dream that he had. And he says, I, I had this dream, there's this big tree, it stretched into the heavens and then, and then it got cut down and then and there were some other things that happened. And he's like trying to figure this out. So he gets all of his company together and, and then he calls this guy Daniel. And if you're new to the book of Daniel, Daniel is this guy that was deported from his hometown into Babylon. He was, he was a Jewish man and, and, and he had this knack for being able to interpret dreams. And so the king, he, he knew this about Daniel, so he invited Daniel. He said, Daniel, here's what's happened. What does this mean? And Daniel's like, man, this isn't good. It's not good, King. And he begins to tell him about his dream. And he says that the tree, King, the tree represents you. And, and things are going great, man. You built this incredible empire. You're the man, you know. But then he says, but God's going to send Paul Bunyan your way. And he's going to cut the tree down. And he tells the King really in a somber way, he says, the tree's you. And sooner or later, God, God's going to cut you down if you don't change. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, the dream. The dream. See, the dream was given to diagnose the problem of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And that Daniel, he's making it abundantly clear. King, you're proud. He's saying the tree is you. It represents pride. You have exalted yourself in a way that goes against what God desires for us. 
Now, if you're new to the Bible, there's certain things the Bible says once, and I believe when the Bible says it, that settles it. But then there's other things that the Bible says over and over and over. It just seems like the, the scripture has this way of not trying to fill pages, but trying to prove points. And there's a certain lesson that we all have a difficult time learning. And in the Bible, here's, here's what it's going to say consistently. It's going to say this, God opposes the proud. If you've come in here and you're prideful, you better look out. It says it over and over and over. If you're proud, God's against you. It says that God hates pride in the scripture. It says he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I wonder, do you have a pride issue? Pride, it's something that can be a little bit nebulous, a little bit ambiguous, a little bit, what exactly is pride and is it that big of a deal? Well, there's a theologian named C.S. Lewis and he says this about pride. He says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, note this, the utmost evil is pride unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I don't know about you, but pride, it whispers to me every day. Pride creeps up into my life and it begins to say things like, hey, you don't need God that much. At least not as much as that guy. You know, pride, it begins to whisper in my life and it, and it says, no one tells you what to do. You're Chad Glover. Don't they know who you are? It's pride that whispers in my ear. You don't need to apologize to her. She's your wife. She, she, she does what you tell her to do. You don't need to apologize to her. It's pride. What's pride telling you today? What's pride whispering in your ear? Pride, it's an elevation of self that, that manifests itself in a, in a variety of ways. It's a pride that makes you think, well, well, oh, I, well, my situation's so great that God can't work in this situation, and so I've just got to control it and be anxious. Many of you, you're here, and, and you get so defensive. You say, well, surely I, I'm not the problem. You know, it's pride that convinces you of that. It's pride that causes you to live an inconspicuous life where you just say, you know what, I, I, uh, I don't need to tell anyone about this. I, I know that I went and did that thing and I know that I'm looking at those things and I know that, that, that I think those things and I believe those things, but I don't need to tell anybody about this. I'm just gonna brush this under the rug. It's pride that causes you to justify things. Well, it's my birthday. Well, I'm turning 21. I just retired. I'm turning 50. I, I des it's a midlife thing. I deserve to do this. It's pride that causes you to do that. It's pride that causes you to notice pride in other people. I think we can look at the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and be like, yeah, yeah, of course he's proud. You know, he's got like a whole kingdom, and he's got like golden cups, and you know, like camels with golden wheels on them. He's got all kinds of gold everywhere, right? And we can see the pride in Nebuchadnezzar easily, but oftentimes it's pride that forbids us from being able to see the pride in our own life. Pride. It causes you to seek approval from people. I've got to be noticed. And so I'm gonna post pictures and I'm gonna flaunt things on social media so that people will make comments about me. I'm gonna post comments on social media that are so polarizing just so that I can get under people's skin, just so that I can get some, some attention and some, some, uh, some likes or some following or some, even some antagonizers. It's pride. 
Uh, pride, it, it, it plays itself out in a couple of ways. One is in self-inflating ways. I think we know this, right? You've been around the arrogant person. They're so full of themselves. You, you know, we call them a narcissist. And we see that, it's like, that's the person that's like, I am so amazing, I look so good today. I am too blank for my, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm just amazing, right? We all know that pride. But pride also plays itself out in self-deprecating ways. Where we say, I'm the worst. No one likes me. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've just been rejected by everybody. And I'm just, I'm just, and, and when you're self-deprecating, it leads you to think I'm awful. And the problem is that both of those are focused on you. It's pride. Pride causes you to be someone that's fault-finding. Pride causes you to be harsh-spirited. Pride causes you to be superficial. And some of you are already thinking right now, I'm so glad that I don't struggle with pride. I wish my mother-in-law was here, you know? I wish my brother was here, right? You're already thinking about, I wish that person was here. I'm gonna send them the message right now, you know? Be careful. See, it's pride that causes you to believe in your relationship with God, I'm not that bad. Not, you know, I mean, I mean, surely no one's perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as bad as that guy, you know? That guy needs God. I just, you know, I'm here. And it's pride that causes us to think that we're not that bad. And it's also pride that causes us to think that we're too bad. And some of you are here, you, get, you got ready this morning, you came to church because you wanted to prove to God that you're lovable. And you think that somehow God is seeing your good works and this is you paying back for the sin that you've done in your life. And you think, okay, if God sees the sincerity of your heart and your church attendance, then maybe, just maybe, he'll forgive your sins of your past. That you think that your sins are so bad that you have to work to earn the grace of God. And that's pride. You're not so good that you don't need God and you're not so bad that you can't have God. Pride, are you a proud person? Do you have a pride issue? Or should I say, are you a human? Because pride is so insidious and it's so natural to all of us pride. Daniel, he warned the king. He said this to the king in verse 27. He says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. So he's saying, we've acknowledged that you have a pride issue. Here's what you need to do. He says, break off your sins by being righteous. He says, break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. And perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. What Daniel's saying to the king, he's saying, you need to humble yourself before it's too late. See, we all have a choice this morning. You can either humble yourself before God or be humbled by God. And he's saying, King, King, like, I think, I think we could do something here. I, I think that, that we, if you'll just humble yourself, notice he calls him to, to he basically just says, you need, to, you need to break off your sins. He's saying that you need to humble yourself. You need to acknowledge that you're not the king. And, and I love that Daniel calls him to action. I think sometimes we'll come to places like this, we'll recognize things that we need to change, and we'll just go out and, and we'll be like, man, I just feel like I'm, doing this, or I, I have really good plans to go do this. And Daniel's looking at the king, he's like, you don't need to feel humble. You don't need to intend to be humble. You need to humble yourself. You know the Bible never says to be humble? That the Bible always calls us to humble ourselves. That humility is not something you are, it's something that you do. 
And so Daniel, he's calling King Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying, hey, you need to break off your sins by being righteous. Sins are those things that, you, that, that Nebuchadnezzar is like, you need to quit living this way, you need to quit treating people this way, you need to quit indulging in these things, you need to quit thinking of yourself this way, and you need to pursue righteousness. Some of you, as a result of coming here this morning, you need to break off your sins and allow the Spirit of God to prune your pride. He also says you need to break off your iniquities. Iniquities are bent towards something. Some of you, you come in here and you're a naturally uh, um, pessimistic person, and so you have a bent towards kind of doom and gloom. Others of you come in here and you have a, you're, you're naturally just an angry person. Like it doesn't take much for you, like a, a lightning bug and a corn cob, and you're set off, all right? You know, not a whole lot there. And so like, like they have a bent towards that, right? And that's what an iniquity is. Well, Daniel says to this king, he says, you need to break off your iniquity by showing mercy to the poor. So we could conclude that Nebuchadnezzar, one of his iniquities was that he was in a place of power and influence and he just didn't care for the poor. And so Daniel's calling Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying, you need to humble yourself by, by repenting, turning from your sins, pursuing righteousness, by recognizing those iniquities, those bents in your life, and then doing something that counteracts that by showing mercy to the poor. And so Daniel, he gives him a plan, he says, and if you do this, if you'll humble yourself, Maybe God will lengthen your prosperity. I wonder, what do you need to do this morning to humble yourself? And Nebuchadnezzar, he hears this advice, he hears this admonition, he hears this counsel from Daniel, and he just takes it in, and he doesn't do anything with it. And here's what we see in verse 28. It says simply, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. When God says something, he's not playing games. The word of God says, be, be sure God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And for some of us, we think that we're sinning and winning, but you're not getting away with it. And one day, maybe the words that would be read about you is that all of these things came upon you. Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't heed the counsel, and, and this was for a year. So he had these words from Daniel, he could have done something about it, he could have repented, he could have humbled himself, and he didn't for an entire year, and then God humbled him. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, the downfall, the downfall. God will humble the proud. God will humble the proud. In, in, the, in the words of the great theologian Johnny Cash, <laughs> who said, you, you need to tell that long-tongued liar, tell that midnight rider, Tell the rambler and the gambler and the backbiter, sooner or later, God's gonna cut them down. Sooner or later, he's gonna cut them down. That God will humble us. We're seeing the lengths to which God will go so that you would know that he is God alone. What's it gonna take for you to humble yourself this morning, church? How much will you have to lose before you humble yourself? It says here in verse 32 that seven times, it's the Bible's way of saying seven years, seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of man, of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so what we see play out in Nebuchadnezzar's life is that he literally loses his mind for seven years. Like he's a king that started living like a cow. Like, now this isn't some metaphor. I think sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll try to allegorize it or whatever, but, but literally Nebuchadnezzar, he lost his mind. He wasn't like living like an animal like Belushi at some house, all right? Like having a big party and just kind of running off the rails that way. 
He was literally crawling on the ground, eating the grass. You know, like, like 14 days into this thing, you know, we're watching CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or scrolling on social media and it's like, what's the king up to today? Well, he's doing what he's done the last few days. He's crawling around on the ground and he's covered in the morning dew and he's eating the grass and he's lost his mind. And this went on for not a weekend, not a month. This went on for seven years. What's God doing with all of this time? Why is he he allowing all this to happen? God's humbling him. He's humbling him. We have two choices this morning, church. We can humble ourselves before God or we can be humbled by God. What's it gonna take for you to apologize to your parents? What's it gonna take for some of you to admit that you were wrong to your spouse? What's it gonna take for for some of you to, to turn from your sin and return to God? What are you gonna have to go through in order for God to humble you? God, he literally robbed this king of his mind, of his sanity. And God allowed him to go crazy and to live like a cow so that he could give them humility. That seems harsh, right? Like you telling me, like God allowed this like seven year thing to take place? Like what kind of God would do that? I thought God loved us. I thought he was gracious and merciful and kind. This is in fact one of the greatest acts of God's mercy. See, it's God's mercy to rob you of that which you do not need for eternity in order to give you that which you cannot live without for eternity. Simply put, sometimes mercy hurts. That it was God's mercy to rob from this king his sanity so that he could give him humility and so that this king would turn to God ultimately so that he could live for eternity. Some of you, it's God's mercy that you went through that breakup. Some of you, it's God's mercy that your loved ones found out the truth about that issue. Some of you, it's God's mercy that you're having to experience the painful consequences of your destructive behavior. That sometimes God will allow you to go through painful things so that he can give you himself. And that's what we desperately need forever. I don't know if you've read much of the Bible, but the main message of the Bible is God sending his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world. Seems like a crazy plan, right? And so God, it tells us simply put in the book of Romans that God did not spare his only son. He gave everything so that we would have the opportunity to have salvation. And if God did not spare his only son for your salvation, he will not spare anything in your life to get your attention. And that God, sometimes he will rob from us certain things so that he can give to us himself. God would rather see you in pain than in pride. And I've had to learn this lesson personally. I don't know if your story is anything like my story, but there's been times when as I look back at certain seasons of my life, I'm I'm like, man, the, the best way to describe that is broken. I just had to be broken. And I'm so grateful for those seasons because in some of the most painful seasons of my life, I've learned some of the most powerful lessons in life. And God, he's robbed me from pleasures. God, he's robbed me from peace. God, he's robbed me from certain plans playing out. And God's robbed me from positions so that he could cut down my pride and so that I could gain more of him. In Revelation chapter three, it says this, verse 19, 
Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Note this, that Jesus doesn't say, as many as I love, I coddle. As many as I love, I just kind of look over their pride. As many as I love, I just kind of sprinkle love feelings and good vibes on them. He says, as many as I love, note this character of God, I rebuke and I chasten. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Zealous means that it's urgent. I've got to do this. I've got to do business. Some of you, you need to be zealous before you leave today. And you, there's an issue in your life and you know it's there and you think that you're getting away with it and you think, okay, God's just kind of turning a, a blind eye to that thing and you need to be zealous. You need to wage war against that thing and you need to repent. Repent means you literally change the way you're thinking, leads to a change of the way you're living, or to put it simply, you change your belief. You quit believing that God is somehow okay with our sin. You, you quit believing that God is somehow okay with us just, just living up to our own kingdoms and our own, our own things. And you start believing that God is God Almighty and that he is worth following. And those whom I love, I chasten. I rebuke, therefore be zealous and repent. Verse 20, he says, behold, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What God is saying here is he's, he's saying, I'm inviting you to humble yourself and surrender, open up the door, allow me to move in so that I can change some things in your life. Some of you, as a result of you hearing the message today, you need to go home and you need to humble yourself and surrender to the hand of God. And you need to look at your situation. Some of you need to go home, you need to pack up your bags and you need to move out. Or you need to go home, you need to get on a knee and you need to ask her to marry you. Some of you, you need to go home and you need to, you need to pour some things down the drain. Others of you, you need to go home, you need to cancel the trip because you know that on that trip it's gonna be with a, a group of people that, that you know that you're gonna kind of bend the rules of your morality so that you can have a good time and turn up and you think that that's okay. Others of you, you need to go home, you need to break up. Some of you need to go home, you need to apologize to your wife. You need to plan the apology to your boss. Others of you need to go home and apologize to your parents. Or some of you, you need to go home and evaluate why you wear what you wear or why you turn a conversation the way you turn it. Why you are the magnet for gossip and drama that you need to do some introspection and ask, why do I do what I do? And more than likely for some of you, you do what you do so that people will think more of you. And that's pride. And we need to humble ourselves and we need to ask God to chasten us and to rebuke us. The book of Hebrews says that God disciplines his children that one of the fruits of being a child of God is that there are times where he reprimands you. And I, I love coming to church and feeling like I've got it all together, but here's what I know, I don't. And, and I need the word of God to call me out. And I, and I need the spirit of God to discipline me. If you've come in here and you are sinning willfully, and you're building a life that revolves around you only, you, you need to ask yourself, am I really a child of God? Because one of the characteristics of being a child of God is that the Spirit of God is faithful to convict you. And we humble ourselves and we surrender to his work. And listen, the reason why we do this is because God loves you. 
And God loves you so much that he can't stand to see you building your life upon anything else than what matters most, and that's a life built upon him. And God loves you so much that he's gonna hound you, and he's gonna come for you. Listen, not to pay you back. This isn't some kind of karma that we believe here, where there's a God up in the skies, and he sees all the bad, and he's gonna come get you, and it's gonna be recompense, and it's gonna be something to pay. No, God isn't coming for you to pay you back. He's coming for you to bring you back. He loves you. What's it gonna take for you to humble yourself? If you're in a season of insanity, repent, humble yourself. Ask God to remind you of his glory and of of his majesty and of of his kingdom and bow the knee and turn to him. What's it gonna take for you to humble yourself. What are you gonna have to lose in order for God to get a hold of you? Nebuchadnezzar, this is exactly what he did. It says here in verse 34, it says, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he did. He says, I lifted my eyes to heaven. This is a common phrase in the Bible. It literally means that Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, he drew his attention upon God. Some of you, like we, we, we kind of get convicted or we see some things we need to change in our life and we start looking down. We start like kind of navel gazing and I need to change all these things, my situation. And I need, then, then other times we'll start looking around and going, well, who can help me? And, 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 and can I justify my behavior based upon somebody else that's worse than me? And, and we'll start looking around. But what Nebuchadnezzar did, it says that he lifted his eyes up that the power for life change is not you looking within yourself. The power for life change is not you looking to someone else. The power for life change is when we look up to God and we gotta lift our eyes. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He said, I, I lifted my eyes up to heaven. And he says this, and my understanding returned to me. This means his faculties came back. He, he came to his senses. That he's now, now he's thinking soberly. He's, he's now thinking, what am I doing on the ground eating this grass? You know, I'm the king, right? Like, I, I, I'm disgusted by this. He, he's starting to see his sin and his crazy for what it is. Some of us are here this morning, and we can't see what God sees about our situation. And so we keep living the way we're living. But I pray that we would turn our eyes up to heaven, and our understanding would return to us. And here's what he says in his sobriety. He says, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down, the decision, the decision. Nebuchadnezzar says that his understanding returned to him, and he made a decision to follow the one true God. Pastor Phil and I, we were talking about this, and we were like, you know, did Nebuchadnezzar come to put his faith in God? Was that in chapter three, when he made the declaration, he saw the, like, the Jesus in the furnace, that sort of thing, and and we're really not sure, but, but here's where we would land. Daniel chapter four, this is Nebuchadnezzar's salvation moment. God humbled him and he confessed God as king. He, he humbled him and he said this, he says, I will bless the most high and I will praise and honor him who lives forever. He's saying with his life and with his lips, God is the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings. And I confess him unapologetically. Have you done that? Has there been a time in your life where you've confessed Jesus as Lord. I think for a large part of my life, I had prayed and asked Jesus to be my savior. And I was like, well, I got forgiveness. Like, oh, I'm good, you know? So, you know, I've got, I got kind of like fire insurance. It's kind of how I saw it, you know? I got forgiveness, I got the love of God. And then as I started reading the Bible, I, I started learning that, that never is there a time where Jesus is savior, period. 
it's always Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so I started like asking myself, am, am I submitted to the Lordship of Christ? And I came to the conclusion early on that I wasn't. And I was trying to like divide out Jesus' job description. And Jesus, it's a package deal, y'all. If you want Jesus as Savior, you're declaring him as Lord. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Is he the Lord of your sex life? Is he the Lord of your, your entertainment life? Is he the Lord of, of your financial life? Is he the Lord of your marriage? Is he the Lord of your home? And what evidence do you have to prove that he is truly in control of those areas? Jesus is either Lord of all or he's nothing at all. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? That's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. And again, my story was like, man, I, I, I saw those areas where I'm like, this is not submitted to God. I haven't surrendered this to God. And God, there were, there were trees that were growing. There were forests in my life that had been growing, you know? And the Spirit of God had to come and do the work. And he had to come take down some things. That there, were, there was the tree of pleasure and the, and the way I was pursuing pleasure in my own way. And God had to take that thing down. There was the, the tree of, 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 you know, of, of all my plans and me going to God and saying, God, I want to do this, this, and this in my life. And, and, uh, and could you bless this? And could you work and help me do what I want to do? And God said to me, how about what I want you to do? Not what you want me to do, buddy, you know. I'm not your assistant, Chad. I'm the Lord of the universe. And I just, I'm sorry, you know? And God had to cut the tree of my plans down. He had to cut the tree of my, of my pleasures down. He had to cut the tree of my performance down. And you don't, you don't need to please all these people. You have, my, you have my acceptance. What does God need to do in your life to humble you? Has there been a point in your life where you've realized that you're a sinner, you've believed in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, and you've declared him as Lord. The word of God says this, that, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. Have you done that? Has there been a time in your life where you've declared Jesus as Lord? Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's telling us of this suffering that he went through. He lost his mind and and I love the conclusion of chapter four because we could come in here and sometimes, you know, uh, we'll go to church and we're like, man, that was a good service. I just feel terrible about myself. Let's go to lunch, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and like, we'll just think that that's how somehow how God wants us to act, you know, and he just wants you to feel really bad about what you've done. He wants us to rub our nose in it like we do a dog, you know? How could you? And, and I think sometimes we feel like that's what church is all about. But what we see here is that, yeah, we gotta be honest about our issues, no doubt. But the strength for us to change is not in us looking at how bad we are. The strength for us to change is looking up and declaring how good God is and the strength that he gives us to change. And so the conclusion of Daniel chapter four is so fitting that, that Nebuchadnezzar, he says, man, I went through all of this. I had this crazy spell and then, and, then I, and then I came to my senses and then he just picks up right here in verse 34. He says this declaration, he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? He says, at the same time, my reason returned to me 
And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor, they returned to me. My counselors and nobles, they resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, note this, I praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. We're about to sing a song of surrender this morning. And I believe this is for every individual that's here, every individual that's tuning in, that the most important thing that we could do today is to surrender our lives once again to God. Some of you, you have yet to surrender initially to the salvation work of Jesus in your life. And maybe this is the day that you do that. And you declare Jesus as Savior and Lord. Others of you, you know Christ but there's still parts of your life, like parts of my life, that have yet to be submitted to God. And maybe a prayer that you could pray is a prayer that I've learned to pray time and time again. Search me, O God. Know my heart, test my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. And here's what I've learned about the Holy Spirit. He's faithful to show you things. But here's what I've learned about me. I'm not so faithful to repent of those things. That for some reason, there's parts of my life that I don't want to surrender to God. But he's good, y'all. And I want to invite every one of us to surrender. We're about to sing a song that just simply says this. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all. With arms stretched wide, I know you hear my cry. Speak to me now, I surrender. And we're going to sing a song of surrender. Then I'm going, to, I'm going to come back up here and give you a couple of ways for you to respond. But let us not rush this moment. Let us surrender in these moments right now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I pray for my friends that you would help them to surrender. God, I pray for my own heart that you'd help me to surrender. God, forgive me for allowing trees to grow in my life of my own selfish ambition, my own vain conceit, manipulating conversations, talking down about somebody so that I look better, pursuing my plans, my, my pleasures, my performances, all for my own vain glory. God, forgive me. Help me to surrender once again today. God, for the individual that's here that's in a season of crazy, God, I pray that you'd help them to come to their senses for the people that are here that, that have loved ones that are literally living like an animal. God, I pray that you would, you would bring them back. God, you would break them down and you would help them to come to their senses and declare you as God Almighty. God, that you would work in us and all around us as we surrender. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.